Welcome to Wide-Mindedness with Victoria Ball, the podcast in which I interview expert guests who want to join me in celebrating that life is not black and white. Our society is increasingly divided, and the us-versus-them mentality seems to dominate our conversations and relationships with others. I believe that life is much richer when we widen our minds to consider multiple opinions and perspectives. So challenge your assumptions and let's become truly wide-minded together. For the last 20 years, Duncan Fisher has worked to help health and family services engage better with the wider family group, in particular fathers. He co-founded the Fatherhood Institute and for three years served on the board of the British government's gender equality body, the Equal Opportunities Commission. Since 2015, he has reported on research on fathers and families and maternal and newborn health at familyincluded.com. He currently serves on the English National Institute for Clinical Excellence, NICE committee, that is developing a new standard for antenatal care in England. He also advises the World Health Organization on a new postnatal practice guideline. He initiated and manages a website for the American Psychological Association and Cambridge University called childandfamilyblog.com. Alongside leading academics and researchers, Duncan recently drafted the Fatherhood Charter. In 2008, the Queen awarded Duncan the OBE for his Services to Children. Hello, Duncan. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, well... Pleasure to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me. You co-founded the Fatherhood Institute and you call it a think and do tank, which I just love. What does it think and do? We wanted to articulate uh, the fatherhood issue differently from the divorced father's issue. But of course, most fathers are not divorced. Mm. And the whole issue of the challenges of becoming a father, how you balance work, and 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 how how do you manage this increased expectation on fathers to be carers, but also the increased aspirations, that the desire to be close to one's children, uh, and that sort of desire to be a hands-on parent and have a relationship with one's children. How do you square that with the continuing expectation that you're not going to do that, which is embedded in employment? All the assumptions in that field are that women do the caring Um, and we came to the view that we had to do it through evidence and we will take the evidence to the policymakers we'll take the evidence to the services the early year services the primary schools the prisons and we'll take it there and we'll say look uh, if you do this differently you will get better outcomes for you if uh, the father-child relationship is stronger then the outcomes for the child are better. That was interesting from the wide-mindedness point of view. Evidence changes. And if you take evidence as your starting point, then you've got to accept when the evidence says you're wrong. Uh, And that happened all the time. The work you did on the fatherhood charter just fascinates me. And in that, it states that men are inherently loving and caring beings, and that um, men's caring instincts and emotional life should be celebrated as part of what it is to be a man in today's culture and I'd just love to pick that up with you do you think that this idea of if you like the new masculinity is filtering down into modern depictions of men and you know what can we do as men and women to embrace and encourage that 
I absolutely think it is. Mm. If you look at picture libraries over the last 20 years and, you know, what sort of pictures there were, uh, fathers holding children is, is, is now a completely mainstream image. But the problem is that the other side hasn't changed. The idea that you have to work as a man to, to have identity hasn't changed. So we've now got this, well, I've got to care and I've got to work. And I think that's that's certainly a pressure that women have felt for a long time as well. Absolutely. And it's the same pressure as on men thinking that if you don't do everything, you're kind of letting the side down. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that when we talk about issues of gender equality, it's so easy to think we need to speak to women about this. Issues of notions of masculinity are absolutely part of, of that picture. You and your co-authors of the charter said that Fatherhood, like motherhood, is a journey. Fathers need time and practice to care for, nurture, play with and teach their children. Do you think that lockdown might have had a positive impact on fatherhood? I think it has. I haven't yet seen the study. But um, you're right about this journey. Um, One of the main reasons that mothers, I think the dynamic that happens, is that people tend to, to do the thing they're good at. That, that's the human instinct. If you're good at something, you'll get more pleasure from doing it and you'll do more of it. You know, when a baby is born, mothers get time off and fathers don't. And one of the difficulties with that is that the mother becomes more expert and more confident and better at it because it's a learned thing. It's a learned thing for mothers just like it is for anyone else. You create a sort of competence gap. So what happened in lockdown, my guess, and this is a guess, my guess is that a lot of fathers got a lot of practice Mm -hmm. and therefore that's going to have changed them for the rest of their lives. Because once you get the practice and you get the confidence, it doesn't go away. If you're not very good at it, there's a sense of, well, I'm not going to make a fool of myself, so I'm going to back off completely. And I suppose that's why in the Fatherhood Charter, it's it's written that those first 1,000 days of a child's life should be a focus of international early childhood development strategies. I wanted to ask you if, you know, what in practice that might look like. You mentioned about breastfeeding being teamwork. You know, what, what does this look like on the ground? It's actually quite simple. Um, everything about child development, is about relationships. So you want to support those relationships in the first thousand days. And if that relationship is good, the outcomes will be good. There's often a feeling that in the first months, it's really important for the mother to bond with the baby. Um, And if anyone else gets in there and gets in the way, it'll reduce breastfeeding. But the research evidence says that if father has a close relationship with the baby, there's more breastfeeding. Children are raised in groups. They're raised they're not raised by individuals, they're raised in a group of human beings. In our society, it tends to be mother and father, but uh, that's the sort of, you know, as we're standard, but that is that is a small proportion of the families in this country, let alone if you look at globally what families look like. And it doesn't matter what the format is, provided that the relationships with the child are good, and the relationships between the carers are positive. You know, this this idea of a nuclear family, a mother and father, that, that really isn't a significant factor. The most significant factor is how the parents co-parent, how they work together as a team. And if they work together well as a team, whoever they are, whatever gender they are, whatever they are, and whatever family formation, whether they're married or not married, or whatever it is, if if that works well, 
then child development will function well. Uh, and that extends across every society and every culture because it's a human characteristic. Human parenting has evolved as a group exercise, quite like a lot of animals, for example, where it is not a group exercise. You know, if the mother and the baby are together, if the mother is separated from the baby, the baby will die. That is the case for a lot of animals. It's not the case for humans. You really have brought together the world's top psychologists, you know, developmental psychologists, anthropologists, scientists, and this is grounded in evidence. And you know, you, you were talking in one of the papers I, I read, a father's brain changes when he actively cares for his child, generating enhanced capacity for care and empathy, as we know can happen in a mother's brain. Mm. But that this idea of care and empathy is something that that can really grow and um, be be as a direct result of that care relationship. The neuroscience has been fascinating. When when mothers care for babies, um, their brains change. Once formed, they don't go away. I mean, the, the pathways remain for the rest of your life. And it's exactly the same for fathers. They don't have the baby inside them. So there's less of a lead time. For mothers, physically, the hormones are changing. The hormones also are acting you know, the hormones and the brain changes are part of the same system. Mothers' brains will change a lot, whereas fathers, um, they change if they care. So if they cuddle the baby a lot and care for the baby, the brain will change. If they don't, their brains don't change. They have looked at the brains of fathers, how they're evolving in different families. So they've looked, they compared three types of father. The working father, so the traditional, you know, the father's at work and the mother's looking after the baby at home. What happens to his brain? Then you've got the fathers and the mothers who are genuinely having a go at 50-50. So both are working, both are caring. And then the third category are the male, the men who are primary carers. So they looked at gay couples, they looked at gay fathers. Mm -hmm. No women at all, just mm -hmm. in the front position. And they looked at the brains of all three and they found a, a, a spectrum. Um, the more you care, the more your brain changes and the more it becomes like the mother's brain. But then you look at that from an anthropological point of view. You say, well, that's absolutely amazing because what that's saying is that we have evolved, that children, have, babies evolve, humans have evolved so that men can look after babies. And so when it's needed, like the mother dies or there's a, you know, there's a, a war or something or a famine mm. and uh, babies can end up being looked after men. It does happen. You know, you look at the whole the human evolution from that perspective, you can see why humans are so successful. Mm. Because we're so robust. But the child doesn't die. It's not like fathers are essential any more than any other parent is essential. You can throw an awful lot at children and yeah. they'll thrive. I hate to interrupt, Duncan, but please, I just wanted to remind you, if you're enjoying this, do find me on Instagram and Facebook at WideMindednessVictoriaBall and sign up to the monthly newsletter at victoria-ball.com. Please also tell your friends and family about it. Spreading the word is the way that we can all grow together in this wide-mindedness journey. And don't forget, rate, review and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. As you say, it's that resilience. Um, and you talk about brain plasticity there, which really interests me. I know that languages have been important in your life, that you've learned Czech, now Welsh. Why is that important to you? There's just something about identity. If you learn a language, you are entering another identity. 
with my motivation for learning Welsh, I mean, I, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not dependent on Welsh, but I want to step into that world. Your drive for learning languages is exactly the same as mine in that it enables you to see life through a completely different perspective. And you obviously now live in Wales. And I wondered whether moving to Wales and living the life you live there now has changed your perspective on life. Oh, uh, completely. But embarrassingly slowly, (laughs) I came here and continued my old life for a long time, doing the fatherhood stuff, mostly in London. But then when our daughters called themselves Welsh, I suddenly realised that I was going over a line too. I don't have an identity in the sense that I'm, I'm very mixed. Neither of my parents are British. My daughters belong here, so where do I belong? I suddenly realised that actually I'm Welsh. <laughs> they welcomed me. They said, look, if you want to be here and you put roots down, you will flourish and you will be Welsh. That actually leads so well into the next question I wanted to ask you, which was when I talk about wide-mindedness, I often talk about three pillars, curiosity, communication and challenging one's own assumptions. Um, I was going to ask if they resonated with you, but actually I think you've picked up on them really in what you were just explaining. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I um, the in terms of challenging, what one wants to challenge yourself, is that right? Mm. Yeah. Um, Yes, you, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I've never been that precious about what I know and don't know. I, I've not, I've never been too worried about being proved wrong. Mm. Um, I, and that's because I'm, you know, I, I've got the privilege of being very secure in the my family and everything like that, that actually, mm. you know, um, but, and I, I also absolutely love working with people that know much more about something than I do. Um, mm. And in all the cases and everything I've done, you know, when I started the work on Central uh, East European politics and economics, I was with people who knew like a thousand times more than I did. <laughs> then I went into tourism, knew, knew nothing. But I did know how to organise things, and I got together people and a team of people who knew about the subject far more than I ever did. Then fatherhood, my goodness, I knew absolutely nothing about anything, um, and but again got together a team of people who had been working on this for years and all these researchers. Um, and now it's happening again with the well-being economics uh, and the Welshness and Welsh history. These are things which I know very little about, but... It's absolutely wonderful um, leaping into a sort of ignorance, as it were, and being with people that just every single word they say is like, oh, wow, is that so? Mm. Um, And every meeting I go to thinking, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. Um, And I, I can do that because I've got a confidence in myself, obviously. Um, It's a privilege. I realise that, 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 you know, to be able to flit about like that. Um, but, and I have got core skills, you know, being able to mm. pull things together, start things, get things going, organise it, create the partnerships, raise the money. All of those things are mechanics that I do know how to do. And I can bring those to any situation. But nevertheless, that sense of being in a group where the, everyone else in the group is talking over my head, I love that. 
Mm. Um, mm. Because you think, oh, wow, this is just so interesting. Yeah, now I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, this is fascinating. And God, these people are so clever. Um, and I do, <laughs> I feel that always when, when you're in a group like that, you just think, oh, these people are just, they're just so much cleverer than I am. Um, and they are in, you know, we're all clever in our different ways, but but they are, they really know their stuff and they've been thinking about this for years. And here I am. And I'm thinking, what am I doing in this room? <laughs> hmm. People, that do they know how little I know about this? <laughs> um, do they know how you know, ignorant I am of this? And the fact is they probably do, but so long as, you know, but they're nice. They're, 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 they're positive and, and friendly. I, I don't... Mm. Occasionally, you 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 know. Occasionally, you do end up in a situation where people are. You suddenly realise that people are starting to be hostile, but it doesn't happen. It happens vanishingly rare. Mm. So before it's been so fascinating talking to you. But before we finish, can I ask if wide-mindedness is important to you, and if so, how? Well, it was a completely new concept to me, and I looked at and I thought, oh, what's this? <laughs> As you do. <laughs> um, it was a very, you know, you sent me a very well written invitation, and that, so I immediately saw that this is something out of the ordinary. Um, but wide mindedness, um, you know, it 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 sort of coincided with some of the concepts that I'd been looking at in the child development field around, um, you know, there's a thing called mind mindedness. A sort of, mm. which is about the sort of your attitude to how you learn, um, you know, your your the sense in which you, for a child development, it's really important that what what is being what you're being rewarded for is not the cl- cleverness, but the effort, the process. Does that make sense of the process mm. in which you're aspiring to knowledge? So when I heard the wide-mindedness idea, that it resonated with that, but I've not heard it before, so I was naturally curious. Uh, and then started. I looked you up, as one does, <laughs> and uh, and then looked at what you'd written and why you were doing what you were doing, and realised that in some ways that concept corresponded to something that I tend to do, which is always think outside my competence um mm. and and about curiosity and about um yeah looking at something and as it were taking experience from one part of my life and saying what what would that do in this part of my life if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and yeah. and um and mixing it all up in a sort of creative way so wide-mindedness it's you're not following tram lines and when you don't do that you you can end up in funny places (laughs) um but that's what why i think that's what to me wide-mindedness is is about is you go wide uh, and you just keep following your curiosity and out of that you end up you don't know where you're going to end up but you genuinely, gen, generally end up somewhere interesting eventually, even if you go to the wrong places quite a lot. Uh, and that, so yeah, so it's like that. I have a sort of sense of a sort of wide, 
plane where you're you're wandering across it and looking at things rather like a child would do in a in a say a field of buttercups yeah you just take mm. your off and look at everything um mm. it takes absolutely forever um it's that kind of thing it's looking at lots yeah. of different things and 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 it, it all being a little bit messy uh it's a creative thing isn't it Mm. In a way, that's what creativity is about. So yeah, I, I associate my wide-mindedness with creativity. Mm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and um, it's so nice that you brought it back to your expertise in that area of childhood because I I think you're right that children are often very wide-minded, and I think it's something we can uh, learn from them and try and grasp hold of that childlike curiosity. Um, Duncan Fisher, thank you so much for joining me. This has been absolutely fascinating and it's been my delight to speak to you today. Thank you very much. It's been fascinating and, and uh, to talk to you and learn about this whole new idea. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Wide Mindedness with Victoria Ball. Help others learn about it by rating, reviewing and subscribing. For more great wide-minded content, follow at Wide Mindedness Victoria Ball on Instagram, at Wide Mindedness on Twitter, and sign up to the monthly newsletter at victoria-ball.com. <laughs>